0: Hey friends, would you do me a favor and join me in reading the Word of God? If you would stand up, please, I'd appreciate that. We're going to have some fun together and we'll do some things a little bit differently during this season. I hope you get used to it, but if you don't, hang in there because we'll be changing at the first of the year. So, uh, we're in John chapter 1. You'll notice again that these uh, verses are not on the screen. That is done on purpose. We want to encourage everyone to... Uh, bring your Bible. We are in a spiritual battle, and it's important for us to be familiar with uh, our sword in the spiritual battle. And it, this is not done to shame people. If you don't bring it, you're certainly welcome to use your phone. We are trusting you in faith that you're not checking out social media and all that other stuff, and that uh, you're in the Word with us. But I'll be in John chapter 1, and I'm going to read the first five verses, if you would follow along as I read them out. Here we go. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus, we love you, and we need you. And we thank you for your holy word and the goodness and the power of your word and your spirit that you have given your church so lovingly. And during these dark days, Lord, and they are dark. This is the darkest season of the year. But this has also been a dark season. And so, Lord, we are asking for your light to shine, to shine to us and through us, and maybe even in spite of us, that you would be glorified and you would be honored. That we would see in a very real way the darkness pushed away by knowing who you are and living for you. And it's in your son's precious and holy, holy, holy name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 You may be seated. Thank you for joining me in the reading of the word. And um, what I have today is a list of words that I want to go through with you. And as you're kind of looking at that and maybe letting it imprint in your brain, I was stunned by a question recently. And the question was this. Who does your life say that Jesus is? So the question was asked to me, who does, who does my life say that Jesus is? Which is dynamically different than who do you say Jesus is, right? Because I can say, uh, I can give you the theological terms and all of that kind of stuff, But who does my life say that Jesus is? In other words, if I could take out church, my attendance of church, what would my life say about me? What would uh, my attitudes and actions, what would the words that I speak, what would they say if I went into a, a courtroom and they were going to decide whether my life identified as a believer and a follower of Jesus or not, would I be convicted? And that's the question that I extend to you today. Who does your life say that Jesus is? Now, during this time of year, we have laser focus on the Christ child, right? Like we, we see him in the manger. We, uh, we study the narratives. We talk about the narratives, the Christmas narratives. And we celebrate those. We prepare to give gifts. We prepare to receive gifts. We go, during non-COVID times, to all kinds of Christmas events And we lose the point sometimes. Sometimes we miss the gift that was given to us, but not just the gift that was given to us, but why the gift was given to us. And if we miss the why, then sometimes we miss the value. And this is one of those times. So as Matt and I began to talk through this Christmas series, Light to You, we said, well, you know what? Let's look at it through a different lens. Let's do it through the lens of John. And by the way, if you're wondering, this is John the Apostle, the disciple of Jesus, sometimes referred to as the disciple whom Jesus loved. This is not John the Baptist, just as a point of clarity so that you know that. This John is the one who walked with Jesus, who was at Jesus at the crucifixion, who knew Jesus after the resurrection, who was a part of the early church in Jerusalem, who was a part of the early church in what we would consider now Turkey, and uh, was a part of perpetuating and developing disciples throughout those regions. He has a lot to say about this Christmas story, but he doesn't zero in on Mary and Joseph riding in on a donkey into Bethlehem, but rather he pulls out, and we look at a grander view of this story, of this narrative. And I hope you're able to follow along. Here are some of the the phrases, the principles that we're going to grab a hold of today and talk through as we look at uh, John chapter one. Let's jump into it. The first word is deity. That word is God, okay? So we're talking about God now. So what does the Bible have to say about God and who is God? Well, the first thing that we know about God uh, from our previous studies, is from the Shema, right? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. We recognize that he is one. But even with the word one, there is a little bit of confusion. That word that's used for one is also used, uh, that word that's used to talk about God's oneness, is also used for a married couple, for a husband and wife. The two become one flesh, same word. So we get a hint that it's something greater, and we recognize that this oneness of God means he's above all. We recognize that he's in all, but it also talks about God himself, his self-unity. We call that, that the phrase that we use, is Trinity. trinity. Now, if you looked in your concordance, and you were looking for the word trinity, you're not going to find it because it's not in the Bible. And so someone will always say, well, the word's not even in the Bible, so there, that's proof that there's no such thing as Trinity. Well, uh, Trinity is the word that we use to describe God's self-unity, his tri-unity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We see it in the Old Testament in a couple of places. As I said already, it's hinted from the Shema, here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, but it's also hinted in the creation account. So in the creation account, there is discussion of God being present, the Spirit of God hovering over the waters, and then in John chapter 1, we see that Jesus is present as well as the Word. So all three are present in the creation. We also see the, um, the plurality, even though it's, it's unified, the unity of God in plurality, in person, in the creation of mankind. So what that looks like is, let us make mankind in our image. That's a little bit confusing if you're saying that God is one, but God is one and unified within himself. So there are a few places in Scripture that identify this trinity. Um, I'll just give you a couple just because of time. One of those places is Jesus' baptism. So during Jesus' baptism, Jesus obviously is present. The Spirit comes down uh, as a dove, and then we also have the Father speaking. So that's a place where the Trinity is in existence all at once. We see it in Jesus' baptism. We also see it in the Great Commission. So in the Great Commission, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Trinity is uh, is all together, and we see clearly the Trinity and the value that they are all in, in one level. Unified. The triunity of God. So who is Jesus? Does Jesus fit in that? Some think that Jesus was created. So he's a created being. Some people think that Jesus was a prophet. Uh, All of those things fall short of what the scripture says about Jesus. So what the scripture says about Jesus is that he is God. He's God in the flesh. That's what we read right from the very beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then later on in the same account, we recognize that they're referring to Jesus. But what did the prophets have to say about this? Because that's that's a little bit tricky. God is being born. So you're saying that this infinite God is being born into this finite world. How does that make sense? Well... I don't know that it does. <laughs> and I think there's a certain degree that we have to recognize in our faith that our faith is a mystery. Like We're trying to... The, there is this um, infinite dimensional being that we call God. This infinite dimensional being we are trying to communicate in three dimensions. It comes up short. right? Our communication of who God is comes up short. When we're referring to Jesus, though, go ahead and hold your place in John chapter 1. But go now to Isaiah chapter 9. I want you to see this because even the prophets talked about God showing up. God coming in the flesh. This is Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, and this is what it says. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, and then here it is, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So there is this unity that is given to this child that is being born, this Savior that is coming into this world. And the unity that is being given is with the Spirit and with the Father. Wonderful Counselor is a a phrase sometimes used for the, the Spirit Uh, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, clearly the Father. But this name is given to Jesus as well as the child. It's a big thing. So Jesus is God in the flesh. And he is the creator. And so he reveals himself. And let's talk a little bit about this revelation. So revelation, often when we hear it, we think of the book of Revelation. And that's good, but we're going to talk about a couple of theological terms right now. So, revelation means unveiling. It's to unveil something. Something that uh, is covered is now unveiled. You see it. This happens a few times in Scripture. Because of time, we're not going to go through all of those accounts. But the unveiling is the phrase that I want your brain to stick to. Because it happens in a couple of ways, theologically speaking. The first way is general revelation. General revelation. So uh, Psalm 19 talks about general revelation. The heavens declare the glory of God. So in other words, we can understand that there is a God based on the, the revelation of God, this general revelation in his creation. These things were created. Well, what created them? Who created them? How did they get here? These questions general revelation leads us to, to a God. It's limited though. Right? General revelation isn't isn't going to answer specifics. Specific revelation is the other phrase that's used in this. So specific revelation, it's seen through how God works in history. That's one way. So for example, the parting of the Red Sea. How God worked in history, he parted the Red Sea, he helped the children of Israel flee from Egypt and into the promised lands from slavery to uh, becoming free. So that's a historical event. But more specifically, we see specific revelation through the word of God and through Jesus incarnate, Jesus in the flesh. So we know about Jesus. So general revelation will tell us attributes about God. So for example, every culture has a system of laws. That's weird. Who told people they had to have a system of laws? But every culture has them. They don't always line up as exactly the same, but most of them do. Many of them do. So what does that mean? That... Perhaps general revelation reveals that there is a moral lawgiver somewhere. Specific revelation reveals that we can know that moral lawgiver. That's what we find out through the Word of God and through Jesus Himself. By the way, if you have the opportunity, please come back on, uh, well, please come back next week also, but also (laughs) be here on January 27th. We're going to have a Bible reading Sunday, and we're going to talk more about why we can trust the scriptures. It's going to be a great time. We're really encouraged and excited to share that with you. So general revelation is, uh, reveals some attributes of God. Specific revelation tells us who God is and that we can know him personally. It's a big deal. And we see this through creation. So here's an interesting thing. In ancient Greece... They, they, they studied the world around them. And studying the world around them, they said, there is this power called word. And this word had this creation effect. In other words, it was the power that started things. This started with a, with a philosopher called Heraclitus. Heraclitus shared it. Uh, Plato took it and kind of went to the next level. The Stoics of ancient Greece, they took it and went to the next level. Then there was this guy, Philo, who is a Jew in Alexandria, Egypt, during the time of Jesus. And he said, you're absolutely right. This word has that kind of power, but it's Yahweh. It's Yahweh. So taking this general revelation, he makes it a little bit more specific. And then John, in John chapter 1, the word uh, 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 in the beginning was the word, uh, he identifies that this word is specifically Jesus. So he makes this specific revelation that this creator is Jesus. And he's a big deal. Now this creation goes beyond that. So we, we went from how we can understand it in general terms to specific terms, this God. And now let's talk about this creation. Out of nothing, something, ex nihilo, is the, is the phrase that's used sometimes. And I, I, I love the story. It's the story of these scientists who go to God and say, God, we figured out how to create life. And he said, really? Well, tell me about it. And he says, well, first of all, you get some dirt, and God goes, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. You Make your own dirt. Out of nothing, something. God created something out of nothing. Uh, science still can't do that. They can't create something out of nothing. So ex Nilo is where this creation account starts. And God begins to create, and at the height of his creation is humankind, man and woman. It's an interesting thing because in this creation account, the height of it ends with humankind. The height of it is also that they are created in God's image. That's a big deal. They're created in God's image. Now, I think that there are a lot of things that that implies. I believe that there are a lot of things that that implies. But let's just talk about it from the garden. In the garden, there's this creation where God creates mankind in his own image. And they follow him, they reflect him, they have this relationship together. But then there comes this moment where Adam and Eve say, you know, it's not enough that we're with God. We want to be like God. And so they sin. They commit a sin. And this sin divides them from God. And God begins this process of how do I call people back to myself? How do I walk in relationship with them? And they need to know that it comes with a great cost. And they need to understand that this is an incredible sacrifice. And they need to understand that I care about them. And so throughout history, God reveals this in a variety of ways with the nation of Israel, with rescuing Israel out of slavery with setting up a sacrificial system with having feasts and celebrations and even weekly celebrations that reflect who God is so that they don't miss him so that we don't miss him creation is a big deal to God and it's a really big deal in the story and you're going to hear me throughout our time together you're going to hear me talk about this a lot because it this this story of the Bible is this big narrative that is based in the creation of God, okay? So we can't miss that. It's a big deal. In this creation, however, there is sin, and the sin separates us from God. Now, it's hinted at early on. In the beginning, uh, beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless, and void and darkness covered the face of the deep. And the rabbis did a lot with that word darkness. They chewed on it, and they've, there are a lot of amazing teachings that have come out of this phrase, darkness. We're not going to go into all of the rabbinical teachings of that, or really any of them, except to say that in general terms, darkness can mean one of two things. It can mean darkness, <laughs> the absence of light. It can mean that, it sometimes means that in Scripture. But it can also mean separation from God. It can also mean that there is a separation from God. This darkness is keeping me from the light. And that's the illusion that comes in to John chapter 1. That there is this light, but there is this darkness. And this darkness can't understand this light, and it can't conquer this light. This light is greater than the darkness, but this darkness exists. And it's real, and it separates us from God. And so this is where we get into some good news. But before we get into the good news, I want to talk about the bad news for a moment. So as I said earlier, God set up this system to let people know that this, this comes with an incredible price. Sin or darkness comes with an incredible price. The separation from God comes with an amazing price. And he sets up a series of things. But one of the things that he sets up is found in Genesis chapter 15. And in Genesis chapter 15, there is this unique story of Abram, who later is called Abraham. And Abram sets up the sacrifice where he cuts these animals in half and this blood drains into this valley. And then God sets up this covenant. And this, in this covenant, he says what he's going to do and he's going to bless the people that bless him and uh, and, and he sets up this, this covenant. But instead of Abram walking through that covenant and engaging in it, God does twice. So God is, God is actually on behalf of Abram, Abraham, the people of faith. He is going into this covenant. And he's saying, uh, the symbolic gesture is this. If I break it or if you break it, may it be done to me as has been done to these animals. There's a sacrifice that's required and almost immediately there is sin and abram messes up and his follow or and his family messes up and then we see this history of people like getting it right and then messing it up and then leaning on god and then messing it up and then getting it right some more and then messing up and and we see this but it comes with an incredible price and this incredible, pro- so that's a part of what we call the Old Covenant, okay? So that's sometimes referred to as the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, same idea. So, but there is good news, and the good news is what Jesus came to establish. Good news comes from a phrase that is used throughout Scripture in the Old Testament. Uh, it's, it's baser, okay? So baser is like when a herald comes and announces good news. Hey, there's good news. It's national news. That's what that word baser means. It's national news. There's a new king in Israel, and his name's David. Woo-hoo! Everybody cheers. Or Solomon. It's national news. Keep that in mind, because in the New Testament, the word that's used, evangelion, it just means good news or good message. And if you're looking in your Bibles, go ahead and go to Luke chapter 2. In Luke chapter 2, verse 10, this is when the angel appears to the shepherd. Listen to what he says, because we we almost overlook it sometimes. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news, national news, a great message of great joy that will be for all people. So not just national news, but even more. Now, with any king, there's a change in how things are done, right? So one king kind of does things one way, another king does them a different way. Jesus' announcement, this announcement is that there's a new way of doing things. There's a new way of doing things. And in a kingdom where the world is just, it's based on power, right? Who who can deceive, manipulate, overwhelm, all of those things uh, to receive power, to get power. How do we tax people? How do we, you know, like all of those things are a part of of the world that Jesus lived in or came into. But it's that world that Jesus says, "Eh, no, wait a minute, there's a different way. And I want to show you a different way. And his different way is a walk in holiness. It's a walk in obedience, but it's a walk in love. And it's like, my followers are going to reflect that. And just so you know, He starts this new covenant, and we're going to talk about that in just a few moments when we start to transition into our communion time. But what he does is he goes to the cross, and he pays that price of the old covenant, the old covenant being where Abram uh, came with God, and the animals were split, and the blood went to the middle valley, remember, and God walks through it twice for Abram and for himself. And Jesus is on the cross, and he's saying, now it's paid in full. It's paid in full. See, when we talk about this Christmas time, we often, just with a laser focus, look at the Christ child, and we think of gifts and receiving and giving those gifts, but there is a bigger deal happening, and that, 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 that God came in the flesh, the creator of all things revealed himself, and in revealing himself, he's saying there is a different way to do life. There is a different way to live this out. The world has its system, but I have my system. And my system is filled with holiness and obedience and love and grace and mercy and kindness and justice. Follow me. And follow me to this place. This place leads us back to the garden. So in Jesus' kingship, he has this ancient new way. (laughs) And this ancient new way takes us back to the garden, a relationship with God, where we know him and walk with him, where his spirit dwells with us and in us. It's different. It's a different thing. And that's the garden that we're talking about. And that's what we experience. So when we see Jesus coming in the flesh... Let's not get so laser focused that we miss this bigger story that has occurred throughout history and is influencing us today. And let's be in this place where we can ask some hard questions. And that hard question that we're asking today is this. Who does our life say that Jesus is? Who does my life say that Jesus is? Who does your life say that Jesus is? We've touched On who Jesus is. But how do we live that out? How we live that out in part is in communion. And uh, if you have your communion elements, we're going to go to that here in just a moment. I put my Bible down realizing now that I have a passage to read. And so that's not as helpful. (laughs) If you go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I want you to read this. This is Paul's account to the Corinthians of what Jesus does, what Jesus did. (coughs) It's such such an amazing thing, and it goes back to this idea. Um, If you have a pen and a highlighter, I would encourage you to get it out and get ready for verse 25. Oh, I've said too much already. Let's just jump into it. Verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. It's interesting that he took that bread and he broke it. Pulling it in half. Does it remind you of some animals that were sacrificed? that were broken in half, that God walked through this blood path, this old covenant. In verse 25. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. So in the old covenant, there were sacrifices that were required. They had to happen. Animals that had to die, that our sins would be covered. Not taken away, but covered. This new covenant that Jesus is establishing, he's saying, guess what? You know what? This is not about you. This is about me taking those sins away. You know what? When you sin, you don't have to go to the temple and make a sacrifice because I'm doing it for you once and for all. This is a new covenant. Verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's a big deal. And we are joining saints all over the world today, but also saints from the past and saints in the future, who have kneeled down to Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And I'd like to give you just a few moments, right where you are, to first of all ask, uh, have I received Jesus as my Savior? Am I saved? If so, praise God, we'll move to the next one. The next one is, is there any unconfessed sin that I need to address before I participate and what Jesus has reminded us to do. I want to give you just a few moments quietly, right where you are, before I lead you in uh, the bread and the cup. Amen. we come together and we remember Jesus and if you're looking at your pack we open the end that has the bread we remember what Jesus did but he took the bread and he broke it Reminding them of what had happened in the past, of a promise that God in the flesh is fulfilling, that we could have life, that light could come into the darkness, could invade the darkness, and the darkness can't comprehend it. What an incredible reminder that Jesus did. And he's saying this that your sin now is taken care of. I did it for you. Remember that. And we remember it together. Let's participate. and there is a new covenant now. We are not under the old, but the ancient new, (laughs) reestablished in a relationship that comes with God, restores us to the garden, is a beautiful thing. Jesus reminds us that it's his blood that will be sacrificed, that will be given for my sins and for yours. And we come together and we remember what God has done. As we remember what God has done, let's not, be, let, let's not be too conservative in celebrating what God has done. Let's stand together as we worship today.